Are you in excruciating pain brought on by your son, daughter, or spouse suffering from addiction? The sleepless nights, the constant worry, and the feelings of isolation. Recovery Centers of America wants you to know you're not alone. Addiction destroys families. But if you call Recovery Centers of America today at 1-888-RECOVERY, your loved one can begin to recover, and so can your whole family. At Recovery Centers of America at Monroeville, your loved one will be treated with compassion and dignity by expert addiction professionals while recovering in a world-class facility. Family Support Services will give you knowledge, connection, and community so that you can begin to heal and recover as well. Call 1-888-RECOVERY today. Recovery Centers of America accepts insurance, provides transportation, and offers intervention services at no cost. Patients are admitted 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. Welcome to Record Store Society, a production of iHeartRadio. so much. I bought that one on the... That was on the, on the Sonic Nurse tour, and so that one—it's um, got so many holes that I have to wear a shirt under that shirt. Oh wow! Or else I'm just exposing too much skin. You still wear it though? Like, I do because I love it, you know. So but it's one of those that's sort of fading away. It's 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 turning into a rag before my eyes. But uh, oh man, what can you do? That's sad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh hey, hi. Uh, welcome to our record store. I'm Seth, and this is Tara. Uh, feel free to look around and uh, just give us a shout if you need anything. And uh, and actually, you're here uh, during a very special time. Uh, once, a, once a month, Tara and I get together in like a uh, sort of a book club capacity. We call it the Album of the Month Club, where basically we uh, all the participants pick an album and then they share it with the group. We all make sure we listen to everyone's albums. We come back together and then we talk about them. Like I said, it's basically a book club, but for music instead. So uh, here we are. Um, j- just so you know, if you're going to hang around and be a fly on the wall during our conversations, which I personally welcome you to do, the albums we're going to be discussing today, uh, Dracula, Songs of Love and Melancholy from 2017, that's the one I picked, and Freedy Johnston, This Perfect World from 1994, and that's Tara's pick. So uh, we flipped a coin, and uh, it looks like I'm going first, Tara. So um, you ready to hop on into this? Yeah, yeah. So so I'm going to introduce it again. This album that I I picked and brought to our, uh, our, our table today, metaphorically, is Dracula, Songs of Love and Melancholy from 2017. So basically, in a nutshell, Dracula is a folk duo from Miami, okay? That's what they are. And I mean, it's, especially this album, is exclusively uh, vocals and guitar. That's it. There's like nothing. It's, it's extremely lo-fi. It's extremely like, um, you feel like you were there. It feels like a live show is happening in front of you and you're just kind of observing it. And, uh, I came across this band. The reason I wanted to talk about it today. Um, I think it was last week, maybe the week before I was talking about my favorite new music magazine called Maggot Brain. Uh, I absolutely love this magazine. Anyone who, who doesn't read Maggot Brain, but misses, old music magazines like like Tara when you were younger did you listen or sorry oh, yeah. did, did you read like what what were your music CMJ. magazines CMJ I loved CMJ especially because it came with like a CD you could yes. listen to the songs that they're recommending Yeah um I also really loved um 
Oh, shoot. Now I'm drawing a blank on what it even was called. Uh, oh, no. What was it? Oh, American? Brain. Was it British? N- yeah, it was American. Well, Nylon had really great. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's uh, it's um, Bust, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They had really great music reviews and book reviews and graphic novel reviews. And I really enjoyed reading that. And then I think there was another one called Apartment or something like that. It was super indie. It was almost more like a catalog where you would, you know, find all these indie artists and yeah. you could order from the from their record labels and whatnot but I think it was called apartment something like that it was basically just like um it wasn't even it didn't have any really like color pictures or anything it was kind of like almost like a paperback print mm. you know black and white yeah um yeah just ink and and paper nothing no pictures it was cool I really liked those days because um obviously yeah. that was a part of our childhood was that the internet didn't really exist so music magazines were other than MTV, kind of like the number one place I learned about new bands. And um, so for, yeah, I, I really loved Spin as a young youngster. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always read Rolling Stone, but I can't admit that I ever liked yeah. it really. <laughs> like, it was like, it was there. So I read it, it's, but I don't think I ever. Yeah, it's weird. I feel like Rolling Stone, when I was a teenager, I looked, I looked at it, but I didn't enjoy it. And it almost felt older, too old for me. But then yeah. when I got to be the age that probably it's meant to meant for the audience it's meant for it. It wasn't, it still didn't do it for me. You know, like by then I was reading pitchfork and like um, whatever else blog was happening at the time. Yeah. Um, so, so, so yeah, instead of Rolling Stone, I definitely read Spin. I thought Spin was like the cooler one <laughs> when I was younger. And then um, I moved on to a bunch of British magazines. I really liked Q when I was a kid. And I think a big reason why I read Q as an American was that um, it just was introducing me to artists I didn't see other places. Like, I'm sure if I was British, they would all be very obvious, very mainstream, you know, musicians. But because... I was an American reading about the mainstream of British music. It all felt very literally foreign. You know, it was like, yeah. ooh, underground. No, not underground, just different country. But anyway, I, I really enjoyed Q. <laughs> um, then after that, I moved on to one of my favorite music magazines back in the day called Devil in the Woods. I love that one to death. Um, and then I moved on to Under the Radar. And uh, oh, now well, that's I'm, what I was thinking about. Under the, the Radar. One? It wasn't bust. Was a oh, bust okay. under the radar, and under that the radar and they had one. graphic novel reviews and all of that. Yeah, totally. Gosh, I, I, why didn't I liked yeah. them a lot? And and now, uh, but they like were I like said, quarterly, right? Oh Weren't yeah, they quarterly only. I, yeah, that was I a feel bummer. like both. I wanted more. Yes, both Devil in the Woods <laughs> and Under the Radar, and actually now with Maggot Brain, I feel like they just send magazines whenever they feel like it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just like all those those like deep underground magazines is just sort of like, eh, I guess we have enough material now. Here you go. Yeah. Do you have, do we have enough material? Do we have enough in our budget to, right. to print this thing? Yeah. And, but, but one of the things I remember about all of those old days of reading about music, which is always just kind of a strange concept to begin with, is that you'll read about a band and um, then you'll think to yourself, oh, I wonder what that sounds like. And then maybe you'll be able to track it down and then maybe you'll like it. You know, like it was like this like multi-stage process. Mm-hmm. And um, there, there are plenty of bands in my life that I remember that happening. We're like maybe just like reading an article and then like just one little thing. Maybe it's the name of the band. Maybe it's the um, the description of like how they got together. Who, who knows? I, I remember like reading about Black Dice and going, wow, 
black dice, you know, <laughs> and then like trying to track it down, not being able to. I found like one track off like LimeWire eventually or something, but black dice is such a varied band that really wasn't very representational of who they were. And then years later, like actually being able to pick up an album and going like, ah, black dice, <laughs> you know, like it was this big long thing. And reading Maggot Brain is doing that for me again. It's making me feel those feels because um, Maggot Brain is pretty obscure. Like like the, the kind of artists they talk about are not artists I've heard of. And, you know, you and I, we, we go out of our way to hear about most artists. So if they're throwing me curveballs, that's pretty deep. And um, mm-hmm. I appreciate it. So in issue one of Maggot Brain, uh, there was an article about this band, Dracula. And the article was called uh, Miami's Dracula, Your New Favorite Folk Duo. And um, it was just fun to read about. It was just uh, learning about these. uh, There's only two people in the band, uh, Eli Oviedo and Doris Bello. Um, Eli is from Honduras and Doris is Cuban-American and they both grew up in South Florida. And so they just kind of found each other. It turns out their voices just sound really good together. They both have this like same interest. Um, if if uh, if anyone here hasn't heard them before, the thing they do, which is really fascinating to me, they more or less curate a bunch of disparate songs, cover them all in their in like the Dracula style. And then kind of stitch them together in a weird juxtaposition that sometimes has like a political meaning, sometimes has like just like a tone meaning. Sometimes it's like a almost like nostalgic or healing kind of thing, but it is always kind of haunting and very minimal. And um, in the magazine, they were describing these live shows. And from what I understand from the magazine, this album really kind of encapsulates the vibe of their live shows. So, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I could keep talking, but but uh, Tara, was this your first time listening to Dracula when I proposed it for Album of the Month Club? Yep, it was my first time. Uh, not surprising to me because you are often throwing me Bandcamp links of <laughs> bands I've never heard of and mentioning them in the store frequently. So I wasn't surprised that I hadn't heard of this one, but uh, yeah, I really liked it. What, what, what was get? your like? Um, what was your first blush? Like, um, obviously, when you see a band is called Dracula, that could be anything these days. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, you you turn it on for the first time. You start listening. What's the first kind of like? What what hits you first? I mean, okay. So when I when I pressed play on Bandcamp, it did not play the first song for me for whatever reason. It was like oh. almost some shuffle situation had happened. So the first song that I heard was Rose Hip November, which of course, you know, I already love Vashti Bunyan. So I yeah. was like, wait, this is a cover. And then I was, and then I, and then I heard, I think the next one I heard was Veinte Años. And I was like, wait, this is a cover. Mm-hmm. This is Buena Vista Social Club from the nineties album that they had. That's really great. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, okay, wait, are all these songs covers? So I started searching the um, title names and realized they're all covers. Yeah, yeah. And um, it, it's it's really interesting. Um, to me, I went through this little phase recently. I, I, I actually do this pretty often where there will be a genre of music that I don't think I know well enough because it's at least my belief 
that every genre of music has some true merit in it. You just have to dig a little deeper because obviously the things that you and I like are more progressive, more interesting. So if you just kind of focus on the surface level, you're never really going to find anything that good. So you got to kind of dig just a little bit deeper in most cases. So Mm. I went into a kick in my head where I was like, I don't know any good mariachi music. I'm going to find some really like (laughs) avant-garde, experimental, indie mariachi music. So going on that hunt, that actually brought me to Dracula, despite the fact that I wouldn't call Dracula mariachi. I would call them folk. But um, but I, I did come across some interesting things during that that search. Uh, there's this really great group called uh, Flor de Toloache. I don't speak Spanish, so I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, which is really good. <laughs> and then um, there's this really great woman who's very mainstream in South America and all you know Latinx populations, but I had never heard of her. Uh, Natalia La Forsade. Like, uh, she's apparently, like, number one super popular in most other mm-hmm. countries, but in America, she's not very popular. And then just a, a lot of other, like, cumbia acts, like uh, Los Bichos yeah. and stuff like that. So anyway, I, I was in this vibe of um, cumbia, mariachi, uh, Latinx folk, stuff like that. And one thing that I saw again and again was um, a, a big emphasis on covers and kind of the importance of that. Like um, that one group I mentioned, uh, Flor de Toloache, they, they are like pure mariachi and they have this amazing cover of Don't Speak by No Doubt. It's nice. It is choice. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, Interesting. but like that focus on cover songs and kind of like what yeah. that is and why it's happening. I think that factors into the fact that they only do covers too. And I think like that memory thing, it kind of comes from the idea of um, uh, Vaporwave too. I don't know how I'm possibly shoehorning Vaporwave into this conversation, but I'm doing it. I don't know how you're doing that. (laughs) It's because (laughs) when you listen to Vaporwave music, it has kind of a future nostalgia because you don't actually recognize the music. It has a pastiche of like of yesterday, but with like future new sounds. And I feel like Dracula has like instant nostalgia for something I've never heard before, like in, in the hmm. same vaporwave vein. And um, I, 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 there's so many things I like about it. I think the one thing I love about it more than anything, like, like there's a lot to love. Most of all, they're very, they're very musically talented, right? Like the two of them have beautiful voices in harmony, they sound fantastic. They're they're great at yeah. what they're doing. But it's extremely simple. It's just a guitar and two voices. Yeah. And there's not really any variety even. Like each song is performed and recorded and produced in the exact same way. And yet I love this. And yet it's very listenable. And I've listened to it over and over and over again. That doesn't factor into like the things I normally love about music. Normally the things I love are oh, experimentation and progression and, you know, being brand new and giving me sounds I've never heard before. This is the opposite of that, like in every regard. And yet it really appeals to me. And I think that's ultimately one of the biggest things I love about music, which is that music is ultimately a magic trick where your ears feel that appeal and there's sometimes no explanation for it. And maybe that's the best kind of magic. Because I can explain to you why I love Radiohead, like with like charts and figures. <laughs> I could explain to you why I love, you know, Bjork with, with like, you know, a, a spreadsheet. I can't explain why I love this other than it's really good, <laughs> you know? I have 
so much to say about it. So please, please go right ahead. The whole like, I don't know why I I like this album. I don't know if I can relate to that statement. Uh, it feels like a lot of music that I really love. That whole like folk vibe mm-hmm. feels like one of those bleak winter albums that we've talked about before. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but on top of that, just, you know, those, those few songs that I immediately recognized to begin with, they're all kind of that same, yeah, that same sort of folk bleak thing as well. So then hearing the covers of it by Dracula, I immediately, I really liked it immediately. I was like, very pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what I was going into, I guess, you know? So <laughs> with a name uh, like Dracula, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I have heard some of your, your recommendations and it's not that I don't trust your recommendations because you have great music taste, but some of the things you listen to are so out there. I'm just like, what? Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I really was kind of, uh, I had no idea what I was getting into, but when then I heard this, I was very pleasantly surprised. It's it's such beautiful music. Um, and yeah, you were talking about how some of these songs sort of turned into like a political uh, thing almost. And mm-hmm. I noticed that. I noticed a political theme. Um, a lot of it. And even the song, it's actually a cover of Babylon by Don McLean. They yeah. changed into Waters of Palestine. Yeah. But it's the same song as the same song as Babylon. Uh yeah, I don't know. Should I go through? I made notes about every track on the album, but I don't I'd, know if we I would want to love go through to hear all them. of them. Or okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So you, we'll just start right off the top because sure. I when when I noticed that it was kind of shuffling songs for me, which I didn't even know Bandcamp could do. Me either. Um, My guess <laughs> is is that um, when you turned it on, the band has chosen not the mm. first track as the featured track. So it automatically jumped to the featured track. That makes sense. And then yeah. who knows what happened? <laughs> maybe it continued, maybe it jumped back. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, they've prioritized songs that they want people to hear. Could be, um, yeah. I did end up buying it so that I could hear everything, you know, as many times as I wanted. Right. Um, so, but the first song, Rifle Pony and Me, is a Dean Martin cover. Just my rifle. When I listened to the Dean Martin version, because I had never heard it before, from the movie Rio Bravo, right, 1958, yeah. it's it's very much like a classic country western song, and yeah. you can hear that. And then, but Dracula's cover to me felt more like Laurel Canyon vibes, less country western, more like Southwest, like you know, that whole. Laurel Canyon era of stuff. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Still with a little bit of a Western, country Western vibe, but not as much. Um, yeah, it made me want to jump in the car and immediately go on a road trip. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, um, I, I, I've only seen that scene from Rio Bravo being referenced in other things. Like, for example, I think there's an episode of The Sopranos where Tony Soprano mm. is watching that movie. And I was like, oh, that's that Dracula song, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like that's my connection to it. But yeah, yeah, that that, like old, like singing cowboy style of song, hearing it from like these, you know, two kids from Miami, hearing them sing it, it just feels subversive in a way, Mm -hmm. but also just like fitting. It's, 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 it's an odd sensation listening to Dracula. I really dig it. Yeah. I really like it. I've never seen that movie. I've also never seen The Sopranos. I, I'm watching but. it for the first time in quarantine. 
It's interesting. Yeah. Like, like the quality nice. is clearly there, but I'll be completely honest. The characters are deplorable in most ways. You know, they murder, they cheat, they kill, et cetera, et cetera. But honestly, they're also really racist and like homophobic and bigoted in a lot of ways. And that's just mm-hmm. being honest to the characters, I suppose. But it's not a lot of fun to watch, you know? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because like, I, I get it. It's like, honestly, if you're telling a a true, like, you know, feeling story, these shouldn't be magical characters who are open-minded and right. you know, blah, blah. Like, yeah. they, they are bad people. So it makes sense that they are bigoted. But I just don't want to watch someone being bigoted. Anyway, it's it's interesting and yeah. good, but it's 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 a little hard to watch sometimes. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, when we go over the album that I chose, I feel like the show that I'm binge watching right now kind of mm. relates to that one. So mm, we'll have a tie in later, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, the next two tracks, La Zaneda. Te exaltare, las diez vergenes. I hope I didn't butcher that. Right. But well, the one, the one, the first one I mentioned, uh, traditional folk song, Colombian folk song. Um, again, I never, I never heard these two, um, but they're so beautiful. They did such a good job, and yeah, especially finding out kind of like their backgrounds. That you know, um, Doris is that her name? Yeah, yeah. It's spelled Doris, like D O R Y S. But then yeah. I, I googled it at some point, and I was like, how to pronounce D O R Y S? And uh, yeah. at least the internet told me that you just pronounce it Doris. So I don't know, but that's what the internet told me. (laughs) But finding out that she's of Cuban descent and Mm -hmm. uh, the other guy was born in Honduras, um, it makes sense. And it's like, you know, I wonder if these traditional folk songs played a part in their childhoods and, you know, were they familiar with these songs growing up? I don't know. I'm just kind of... uh, very curious about that, but they're both beautiful songs. I didn't make too many notes about those because I don't know much about them, but they're both very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but then related, the number four track on the album, The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face. The first time ever I saw you. Reading the history around this one was very interesting. I mean, so, uh, well, number one, Roberta Flack covered this song as well, and it became a Grammy hit for her. I didn't realize that song was so big for her, and I just read about that, you know, recently. So I think that that's that's super cool. But originally, that song was written by Ewan McCall, a Scottish singer-songwriter, folk singer-songwriter for Peggy Seeger, who... I think he wasn't even, it was his lover at the time, mm. but he was married hmm. the time that he wrote this for Peggy Seeker, but he was married to this other lady. Anyways, I think they end up getting together at the end. But if you kind of, if you, if you listen to that song. Yeah. It feels like someone mind, right about to cheat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. Like he really loves this woman, but like he's moved by her. But then to know that like he wasn't even with her, it makes it even more powerful in yeah. a way. Yeah. Yeah. Like almost like forbidden yeah. fruit. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I don't know, probably the other, uh, those traditional folk songs that we mentioned before, and this one being a folk song who, um, I believe uh, that guy, Ewan McCall, was, I think, more political kind of folk singer as well. So I just, I'm curious, kind of like, how did they choose these songs that they're all kind of folk, they're all kind of around that same era, late 50s, early 60s, mm-hmm. um, and some very social political songs. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I can at least say in the article in the magazine, they are very aware of that. Like they are oh, very okay. aware of the juxtaposition of the songs, the fact that some of these songs just being sung by, you know, Latin American kids, that says something about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like like yeah. like there is like they are intentional with their with their things. Yeah. It's also interesting too. Um, one of the things that just feels so haunting but so interesting, uh, Doris, she um at least early on in their um live performance, she was so shy that she didn't really want to kind of like be out there and be bare in front mm. of all these people. So she would perform with a large lace doily over her entire head, like a veil. And it's just like, damn it, that sounds cool. Like that's just some spookiness, you know? That even adds more to this whole like traditional folk theme because even when I was reading about, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was reading Love in the Time of Cholera Mm. and there was the whole, um, gosh, I don't even remember the details, but I feel like there was some moments with veils, laced veils and whatnot hmm. um, having to do with that. So I, I almost feel like that kind of just plays into more of that whole social, political, folk, traditional themes thing. Yeah. That's neat. Um, that Waters of Palestine song they do, it's interesting how they've, uh, it's called, Waters of Palestine, but as we mentioned before, this song is a cover of Don McLean's Babylon. Um, I'm I don't know much about, you know, all of the turmoil that's gone on for, you know, hundreds of years over there. <laughs> I don't even want to mislabel the country names at right. this point. Uh, I feel just so sensitive around saying anything incorrect because I know it's such a sensitive topic. But knowing that there is a severe water shortage there and changing it to the waters of Palestine, it making a already political song even more relevant for the modern day, I guess. It's really interesting because I know like Don McLean, like his whole album when he did American Pie, which that song is on, is also very just like cultural. Um, a lot of talking about events and cultural things that are happening in that time. So interesting to me. I don't know. I didn't know much about it. And I actually looked it up and I saw that someone said that uh, for Rastafarians, Babylon is their term for decadent Western society. And Zion is the Rastafarian name for the promised land. Because in that in that song, you know, he's... Uh, He's singing about Zion, so hmm. for the Zion. Um, I don't know. It's just really interesting how they've sort of updated it in a way. Yeah. It feels extremely deep, despite the fact that I don't know what they're talking about, which <laughs> yeah. is really interesting. And also, too, it's it's also a fun little bait and switch that, um, at least for me, I recognize the Don McLean song, and 
but like musically, like like by mm-hmm. by the melody. But the lyrics yeah. were all different, or at least yeah. slightly like you know funhouse mirror versions of the lyrics. Uh-huh. So it kind of like makes you lean in a little closer. You're like, wait a wait a minute, is is this one a cover? Are are are, are these yeah. all covers? Is this a cover? <laughs> you know? And I felt it, that way. I was like, I know this song. Yeah. The first time I actually ever heard of it was from a Yours Truly video. Do you remember those videos on mm. YouTube? It's kind of like a video blog. Yours Truly, they would have, you know, these um, sort of upcoming indie artists in the early 2000s and have them sing their songs um, and do a YouTube video blog of it. Well, this, I heard this cover by Mountain Men, Mountain mm-hmm. Man, Mountain Men. Do you remember? Yeah, the the, the trio. It's, and yeah. It, yeah, it's Mountain Man, right? Yeah. Mountain Man, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to um, Google which, this so we don't look like idiots. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's such a beautiful rendition and they do it in turn, you know, so one person starts, the next person starts on, the, you know, like a few words later and yes. then the other part. So they do an around. Um, I, I have confirmed it beautiful. so we don't sound like idiots. Mountain okay, Man. Mountain Man. It is. Okay, it is. Awesome. Despite Good. the fact that they are a trio, the group is called yeah. Mountain Man. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. clarifying. No, and they are, man, they are great at covers. Um, yeah. I, I'm a big follower of theirs on their Bandcamp page where they just post random covers whenever they feel like it. And their latest mm-hmm. one is uh, Hot Knife by Fiona Apple. So imagine Ooh. that completely acapella, just their three wow. voices doing it. It's real good. It's really, really um, good. That's actually one of the girls. That's the singer from Sylvanesso, actually. Exactly. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I saw Mountain Man at Big Years Festival, and it was just beautiful in a church. And well, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. But nice. Yeah, I wanted to sing along with this this song, but the words were different. And I was like, wait a second, I wonder why. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out more, but um, I think they've just sort of modernized it in a yeah. way, but addressing a uh, current day issue. Well then, then, so then after that was the Rose Hip November, which was the first song that I heard off the album. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. This is a cover. I'm pretty sure I Googled it. I was like, oh yeah. Bashi Bunyan, yeah. which I think we talked about when we were talking about winter music. Um, but yeah, just a bleak kind of wintry folk song. I love it. Um, I don't know if there's political or social cultural things that they're talking about here. I don't know if Vashibunyan is either, but it's still this song is from that same time frame of all the other covers. Yeah, yeah. And, and so once so again, because pretty much every song on this is from a specific era, it mm-hmm. makes you look back. Yeah. But it's also like I it, it's strange. Like like I, I liked the phrase that the magazine used a lot which was haunting. It feels haunting, but also um healing. Healing and haunting yeah. were two words they used a lot. And uh, it's I, interesting. I agree with that. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, yeah, no. it no no, I was about to cut you off. I didn't mean to do that. When it's interesting, I wonder if they say haunting because their name is Dracula. Right. The song or the album title is called Songs of Love and Melancholy. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know. It does have very melancholy feel. And then some of these songs are, are very um, much about love, just like that uh, first time. I ever saw you song. Yeah, the the first time I ever saw your face. First time I ever saw your face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, such a love song. 
but then you have something like um, I don't know. Yeah, the uh, the the Waters of Palestine one. That's extremely political. Um, yeah. Well, let's we'll keep going. Uh, number seven is the Veinte Años Buena Vista Social Club. Yeah. Song cover. Uh, such a lovely rendition, but I actually just learned too from this, um, from listening to this album, mm-hmm. that Ry Cooter produced the the Buena Vista version, and oh. that's another Laurel Canyon guy. Yeah, that's interesting. That, that, that also makes a lot of sense too. So that's yeah, yeah. That all, that all connects yeah. in my head. <laughs> I, I I think I went on like a similar search with you though, which is like. When I when I first heard this, you recognize a couple of songs. Then you're like, wait yeah. a minute, are these all covers? Yeah. <laughs> and then you start searching the ones you don't recognize. Mm-hmm. And this one I thought was uh, a strange search because you know Vente is just twenty in Spanish. So yeah. I was like, how am I going to Google this? <laughs> you know. So I'm like, Vente song, and then so quickly the the point of the social club thing came up, and I was like, oh right, yeah. right, yes, everyone remembers. Yeah. If nothing else, the cover of the point of the social club like image you know yeah exactly that's the that's the one everyone knows and loves I mean mm-hmm. I'm sure they have a lot of great albums but for sure that's how I found out about them and I love that album right um but yeah actually funny story about Ry Cooter actually his name makes me laugh but I never listened to him because of his name I don't that's probably bad of me but I recently saw the documentary for um uh, Linda Ronstadt, and oh. she talks about how he's one of the most under, uh, what's it called? Uh, under, or not overrated, but underrated? Yeah, underrated. <laughs> I don't know why that felt so wrong to say. Right. It felt so wrong to say it, that he's one of the most underrated guitar players of our time. And I was like, oh, interesting. So I really wanted to just learn more about him at that point. And uh, yeah, he's a very hmm. interesting guy. Still yeah. going too, making music. Yeah, he's he's definitely one of those dudes where I see his name more often than I can actually like pinpoint what he does. Yeah. yeah one of those. Exactly. But that's actually a cover too, apparently. 20 Years by Maria Teresa Vera, another Cuban singer-songwriter. Um, and then so we go to the next, which is All My Trials, another political folk singer, Joan Baez. covered one thing that I one lyric that hit me was if living and I think it's super relevant for today's political climate as well if living were a thing that money could buy you know the rich would live and the poor would die and I was just like damn yeah that's that's a a deeply true line yeah deeply true and so sad yeah um I also realized that uh an artist who I just discovered last year in 2020 covered it as well bedouin have you ever heard of bedouin i've heard the name i don't think i could pinpoint it though but yeah. yes yes i've definitely heard another the name. just kind of shimmery folk music if you will like mm. it's folk but it has more of a like almost dream pop vibe to it it's very cool. good nice. highly recommend okay mm. last song on the album uh, is the Nightingale, which is from the Twin Peaks soundtrack. Yeah. So you can imagine it's sort of eerie, folky vibes. There is a love 
in in the in the magazine they mentioned a few other songs that they play live, and they mentioned that they play an obscure song from the animated Walt Disney Alice in Wonderland film. And I'm like, ooh, oh. which one? <laughs> and they didn't say. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious to check that out because because I I don't know I I, I that's uh, from my youth that is my favorite of the Disney animated features is Alice in Wonderland, and um, I'd be very curious what song the they only would perform. One. Yeah. yeah, I'm like the immediately thinking trying to think back to all those songs and. Oh, Alice in Wonderland. I was just thinking of Sleeping Beauty. Never mind. <laughs> what songs are in Alice in Wonderland? Uh, there'd cartoon? be like very good advice. Uh, something about talking with flowers. Flowers. Uh, I'm oh, late. Yeah. I'm late for a very important date. There's uh, a, a very merry unbirthday. There, there, uh-huh. There's there's quite a few. Like it's, Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a pretty musical um, animated film. But um uh, and, and also just to like catch you up because I'm not caught up on these guys either. Um so they have three releases that I could find. There might be more, but I could find three. Hmm. They have an initial EP that is self-titled. So it's called Dracula that came out in 2015. I've heard that. And that is actually very similar to this, but just hmm. even more lo-fi, like real lo-fi. Covers like, or originals? Still covers. I think I oh, think they okay. only do covers. I'm not sure. I'd, oh. I'd have to dive deeper, but I think they only do covers, period. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'd have to keep well, looking. <laughs> yeah. But um but yeah, the original EP came out in 2015. It's called Dracula, self-titled. This release is Songs of Love and Melancholy. It came out in 2017. And it's kind of kind of like a mid-lo-fi where it's very listenable, but you can tell mm-hmm. it's very simple and very direct. No, no, yeah. no uh bells and whistles, literally or figuratively. Uh, and then I found out just recently about another release, which came out in 2019 that I haven't heard yet. Um, it was hmm. referred to as their debut album. So I don't know, even know what that means. Cause I would have oh. figured that this was their debut album, but who knows? Yeah. Um, Interesting. it's called Doris and Eli and it came out in 2019. And from what I understand it is a fuller musical sound. So there's actually okay. other instruments, better production value, more, more, um, I guess, which is more polish, more, more forethought, less, mm-hmm. less stripped down. And, uh, I'm actually not sure how I feel about that. I'm sure it's great, but I haven't heard it because I, I really like the low fineness of this. Like for example, yeah. I, I'm going to play a little chunk here. I really love on, uh, Lazaneda when it starts, there's this little false start where it's about to, 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 oh. they're about to go in and then they, they like yep. make the mistake and they re go. So here, I'll, I'll play that right now. So the thing I like about that is it is kind of like we live in a digital world where it's very, very easy to trim, to edit, to delete, to do whatever. If you, if you make a false start, you just do it again. It's it's really simple. So in today's world, someone leaving in a mistake like that is very intentional. You know what I mean? Like it's it's by no means necessary. So it makes it even more interesting to me that they bothered to keep that in as opposed to, I, I guess that's what I'm saying. It, it's like- yeah. um, I remember back when I was in art school, um, one of the things one of my drawing teachers taught me was, uh, hey, when you're making this drawing, try never to erase. 
any mistake you make, you leave it in there. You show your work Mm -hmm. and you just keep building and building and building and building. And yeah, those leftover lines are going to be in there because those are your mistake lines, but they'll help kind of just show the character and show the timeline of a drawing over a Mm -hmm. long period of time. And I always really appreciated that. I thought it was really good advice and it kind of lends itself to just interesting art in general. Mm -hmm. And this reminded me of that, of just like, all right, starting the song, here we go. Oops, we made a mistake. Start it over again. Here we go again. You know, and I, I, in, in contemporary music, I don't hear that done anymore, you know? Yeah. I'm just trying to think of similar things. And the first one that comes to my mind is Juliana Hatfield on a song where she like coughs a nasty cough like in the beginning. Right. I mean, the song had already started, but she just like coughs before she starts singing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I, yeah, I love stuff like that. Me too. I mean, not. If, Co- if, not nasty coughs, but just like <laughs> <laughs> kind of uh, like, yeah, rough edges, if you will. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing this new one, the uh, Doris and Eli album. Um, it's sitting in my Bandcamp wish list right now. I'm sure I'm going to pick it up next uh, Bandcamp Friday. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really, really excited to keep hearing more from this band. Yeah, me too. One last thing I'll add about it is just that... Um, yeah, it's folky, but it has this sort of nice reverb over everything. Yes. You know, I really like that. It almost makes me think back to that uh, Cindy Lee album that I liked so much last year. It kind of has that sort of, like, sounds like you're in a tunnel almost. Yeah, it, it feels comforting. I, I'm not sure what that is, uh, like, like in, like, a biological sense, why mm-hmm. that kind of, like, dreamy reverb feels like a blanket, but it really does. And um, yeah. I really do love this album. I, if anyone out there in this uh, record store has not heard it, I uh, highly recommend it. It's uh, my album of the month club choice of the month. Um, Good choice. Thank you. Uh, and now uh, we're getting ready to move on to yours, but I'm going to take a mm-hmm. quick uh, coffee break first. We'll be right back with uh, Tara's pick, Freddie Johnston, This Perfect World. Okay, we're back. Uh, this is the album of the month club. Uh, I just went. My choice was some Dracula. And now uh, Tara has introduced me to an album, which I had never heard before. And uh, please inter- introduce the uh, album Let's p- and play a little, uh, little, little chunk for us. Yeah. Um, this album is from 1994. It's Freddie Johnston's This Perfect World. Um, yeah, I've, I chose this album because it's been a favorite of mine for many years since I was a teenager. Um, I, you know, I talk about 90s music all the time. It's, it's my favorite. Or it just, I don't know, there's something about the nostalgia I feel when I, when I hear certain music like this. This is one that I think would probably show up on 120 Minutes, mm-hmm. MTV, 120 Minutes. Um, I don't know why I do this, but I think... I always think that the title track, not the title track, but the first track, which is the sort of um, the hit, the single, right? Um, Bad Reputation. I always think it's from that movie, Beautiful Girls. Oh, okay. But it's not. Mm. It's not. 
I don't know why I always just p- paired this this album with that movie huh. for some reason. I think it seems like it would belong on that soundtrack, which is why I think about that. But well, I actually not. have something just like that. Really when, interesting. I think when I listened to this album, I felt like he belonged on the Empire Records soundtrack. <laughs> But I don't think he is. I don't think he's on it. No. It just it's sounds funny. like he should be on there. Yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. Mm-hmm. What's funny, though, is that that song, Bad Reputation, is on a soundtrack. Yes. But you would never think. Oh, get <laughs> like, this. No, no. This is going to blow your mind. Okay. When I turned this on for the first time, my mind immediately went, oh, this is that song from Kingpin. It- That's... <laughs> Exactly yes. where my mind went. That's that's how I recognized it initially. Was I know this song? It's in that Fairly Brothers movie, yeah. Kingpin. And, and 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 in fact, later on in the album, the title track is also in the movie Kingpin. There are two songs oh, from this album wow. in the movie Kingpin. Which that is so weird to me. They because are, yeah. The movie is so silly to me, but yes. this album is not silly at all. It's like 100%. probably kind of sad if you think about it. Um, but yeah, produced by Butch Vig, another legend in the 90s grunge world. But um, this isn't grunge at all. More acoustic kind of singer-songwriter vibes. Um, and Butch Vig yeah, is the guy, it, he's so. in Garbage, right? That's the same Butch Vig? Um, yes, yes, I believe so. Yeah. Gotcha. Again, I just chose it because I feel like it doesn't get enough mention in the world today, and it's kind of a forgotten gem, I, I would say. I mean, I had definitely never heard it. So um, t- take me back to Young Tara. When yeah. you first heard this, where were you? How did it appeal to you? Mm. What made you think that you fell in love with it so quickly? Like, like, yeah, I guess br- bring me back to your earliest memory of this album. Um, When I was a teenager. When this album came out, I was like always just sitting in my room. Mm-hmm. I was never doing anything fun, uh, <laughs> never going to anyone's house. I didn't live in like a neighborhood. So a lot of the times I wasn't ever going to people's houses or like walking to my neighbor's house or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I just stayed. I was kind of the like Boo Radley of my, <laughs> my house. I just stayed in my bedroom all the time and listened to music. Um, maybe that's why I am the way that I am today and just obsessed with music. But um, probably heard it then when I was a teenager sitting in my bedroom. It has like a, a kind of a sad, the Bad Reputation song specifically had kind of like, you know, a sad, but like lovely, mm-hmm. a sad song, but lovely kind of, uh, it was kind of upbeat in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I hate to use the word melancholy cause we used it so much before, but there is, there is a melancholiness to it. And, and, uh, and in general, maybe this is just me, but I think this is a shared, uh, emotion. I feel like melancholy is mildly comforting, you know, like it's, yeah. um, I, I read this thing a while ago. I don't know how true this is cause I wasn't there, but <laughs> the idea that nostalgia used to be viewed as like a disease that like, for hmm. example, um, sailors back in the day, it was terrible if someone caught nostalgia, quote unquote, because that meant that they weren't going to do such a good job. They were busy thinking about other things, et cetera, et cetera. Like nostalgia used to be viewed as a very negative thing, that it was unproductive to to have hmm. nostalgia. So um, I think we're way past that. I don't think <laughs> I don't think our society would would even consider that for a, for yeah. a minute. But um his music, for some reason, I, I do think paired well with Dracula in the regard mm-hmm. that they both felt they both felt nostalgic, 
but one artificially so, one realistically so. And they both had a melancholy to them. Like, um, you're right. I, I, I believe I, I, I'm not sure where I saw this. I, I think because I, I obviously did some research on this after I was listening to it and probably while I was listening to it. And uh, mm-hmm. one thing that came up again and again um, on the uh, Wikipedia page for this album was the idea of regret and loss. Like they talked mm-hmm. about regret and loss again and again and again. And I'm not sure how much of it was like Freedy saying that. I'm not how much of it was like just whoever wrote the Wikipedia page saying that. But um I felt that. I definitely felt the regret yeah. and loss all throughout this album. I will say, I, I forgot to mention this, that um, I'm, I've been learning guitar during the pandemic, and mm-hmm. I just learned this song. Uh, so it, that's why another reason why it's been kind of just like fresh on my mind. <laughs> For Bad Reputation specifically? <laughs> a bad Reputation, yeah. Mm, interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, and, and, and I, I know you are a person who loves the 90s. You, you definitely mm-hmm. do. This feels... Production-wise, very 90s. Like, so 90s, and, yeah. and I was trying to figure it out while I was listening to it. What is that? What what feels like the 90s to me? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I, yeah, I think I could speak to that a little bit, maybe. A lot of music in the 90s kind of was just this, like, well, if you, not not a lot of music, because a lot of music in the 90s hit a certain way. But if you think about this particular like style of alternative rock right. and grunge, a lot of it is, some of it is that sort of like, I don't care vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it is this sort of sad sap vibe. <laughs> right. um, and, and actually, this is my tie-in to the show that I've been binge watching, which is the Gilmore Girls. I never watched it. It came out early 2000s, so I never watched it. And now I'm watching it and I love it. And the town troubadour is Grantley Buffalo, another sad, huh. sap, indie alternative uh, rock guy. Yeah. And in and, and that, uh, Grantley Buffalo's albums and Freddie Johnston's albums all kind of have that same vibe, I would say. I keep saying the word vibe, but you guys know what I mean, right? Like it's yeah. feel, feel yeah. instead of vibe. <laughs> no, th- there are, there are um, words that we all say too often. <laughs> there, there are ones I recognize about myself. Um, yeah. I, I say nice way too often. I say mm-hmm. vibe way too often. I, I yeah, there's a lot of words I say too much, but I try to help myself yeah. when I can. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I um. Jeff Buckley has that sort of sad sap alternative guitar feeling. That's something um, I was I was gonna say too. Is that um when I listen to Jeff Buckley. One of the things that I think is only the hindrance that stops the world from appreciating Jeff Buckley as much as he should be is that he does feel locked in the 90s, like his Mm -hmm. production values. And I I think it actually went away a little bit with the other stuff. Like when you listen to his live albums and when you listen to um, uh, Sketches for My Sweetheart the Drunk, I think that stuff's Mm kind of gone because that stuff wasn't really overly produced. That stuff was a bit more raw, you know? Yeah. So back to it again, what is it about let's say grace, let's say this perfect world and other things of this era. Gin blossoms. Yes. Gin blossoms for sure. Until I fall away. If I hear from you, um, or even just like, uh, uh, shoots, uh, sparkle horse. Do you remember right. that? Band? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but, but yeah, so, actually, so yeah. W- what is the thing? I can't pinpoint it. I, I, I know there is a sincerity, that's in like yes, both the delivery sincerity. of the voice as well as honestly, 
even in the guitar playing, there's a lot of sincerity. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, depending upon who you are, you can consider that a good thing or a bad thing. But it feels very sincere, which is interesting because the 90s were also an era of uh, a lot of sarcasm, a lot of mm-hmm. um, irony. Yeah. And yet Jeff Buckley and this Freddie Johnston guy do not seem to have any irony, <laughs> any sarcasm yeah. in them. They seem very sincere. And yeah. I wonder if the sincerity has something to do with why it has like that 90s vibe. And, yeah, and, it's real. Yeah. And, and also when you hear that 90s vibe, I can see people who hear it and would go, oh, this is corny. Like this 90s vibe is a corny vibe. I'm mm. not going to listen to this because it's 90s yeah. and they, they, they write know, it off. Speaking of corny, sad sap, 90s, I feel Mm -hmm. like a lot of people feel that way about like something probably like the Counting Crows, right? Yes. Yeah. I think that's another great example. Oh, come on. Yeah. That's, yeah. You're like, "Mm, no. So, but, But so, Freedy isn't like that. And you would say probably like the Lemonheads has that same sort of vibe too. Gosh, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Vibe, feel, (laughs) Um, uh, sound even. It's sad, some of it. Into Your Arms, for example, The Lemonheads, I would say is a lot like Bad Reputation melodically, sound-wise. Well, here, I, I, I'm, I'm going to play two quick clips real quick. I'm okay. going to do a couple of quick needle drops. And I just want to, I guess, talk more about this like production and, and him as a songwriter, too, and like what it is. Okay, so first, I'm going to play you a little bit from a song called I Can Hear the Laughs. I can hear the laughs when they find I've fallen down again. This song to me would just be a Wilco song if it had a different production. <laughs> like if it wasn't yeah. produced like an album from 1994, this would just be some Uncle Tupelo, Wilco, alt country <laughs> stuff. And I mean that as a compliment. I really like Wilco yeah. and Uncle Tupelo and all that stuff. So I, I wish I had more answers. I, I mostly have questions. <laughs> and but 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 okay, but now I'm gonna play a different clip. This is from Two Lovers Stop. And to me, this sounds like peak 90s. So here's this. That sound. I have this like weirdness in my head, okay? And this is kind of like a thing that like, I, I think this is probably a bad thing, but you can tell me how you think about it. I have like these levels in my brain of when I'm listening to something new, how I kind of accept it. Like there are there are levels in my head. Level one is, am I enjoying listening to this? P- pretty easy. Like I, 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 I'm, I'm a person who likes to like. I want to enjoy most things. I, I don't want to dislike, I want to like. So that's very easy. So so am I enjoying listening to this, you know, aesthetically are my ears happy? Simple. One level below that, because I'm a person that, as you know, who uh, runs a, a small record label, um, I get a lot of submissions and way more submissions than I could ever possibly put out. My label only puts out maybe one release a month tops, you know, like we're, we are not super prolific. So I, I have to listen to tons and tons and tons of submissions and unfortunately only accept very, very few. So because of that, that's another level in my brain of like, okay, would I put this out? If someone sent this to me in an email, if someone sent me their demo, would I go, yes, I love this. I'm going to invest my time and energy and money 
into putting out this album for you. And that's like the second level of like liking <laughs> in my brain. And then I have a third level, which is far more judgmental and much more assholish, which is <laughs> as a musician, I'm very, very picky about the things I make because mm -hmm. it's just, what's the point in making stuff that's been done before? So that level in my brain is extremely uptight and extremely assholish. And I'm like, why bother? Why bother making this? Why did you do this? <laughs> That's a completely different level. So anyway, so when I listened to this, I was thinking about it like on these different levels. And obviously he fulfills the first one. But when the production kicks in sometimes on the second one, I consider it like that, that level of like, oh, someone's like submitting this to me. Am I going to take it? And I'm like, nah, this is too 90s. And then I thought, Why? Why do I think that? And this song was to me like the most- 90s. I, it, it was the most like encapsulated. It was like in a nutshell of like what I felt was wrong. And wrong is the wrong word. It's definitely not wrong. It's just specific. It's very yeah. specific. And I think earnestness is has something to do with it. <sighs> I don't know. I, I, I wish- <laughs> Earnest. I wish, earnest yeah. is such a good word to describe this album, actually. Earnest. Yeah. And I, 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 I don't, I, well, once again, it must be infuriating to listen to someone only pose questions and have no answers, <laughs> but that, that, that's something that, that came to my mind a lot in this. And, um, I'm looking at other things I wrote down while listening to Did this. Did you like it? I, I definitely liked it. And it reminded me of Grace a lot, which is Grace is one of my yeah. favorite albums ever. So, yeah. um, so that's, that's Rel all good. Oh, sorry, go Related ahead. Related to the whole Gilmore Girls thing, if I could go back for just a second, just because- <laughs> I'm just digging around here too. And I'm seeing like, so I mentioned the Grantley Buffalo thing. Grantley Phillips was Grantley Buffalo. Grantley Phillips was the town troubadour in Gilmore Girls. Mark Rabot played guitar on this Freddie Johnston album. Hmm. Uh, Mark Rabot played guitar for Sam Phillips. Sam Phillips produced the soundtrack or the sounder, uh, whatever you want to call it, the sound. I don't know if they actually have a soundtrack official for Gilmore Girls, but the show's uh, music, I guess, right. for Gilmore Girls. Sam Phillips produced the sound for Gilmore Girls. It's all like full circle. <laughs> it really is. Full circle 90s. Yeah. Huh. Also, I'm just thinking about more about this like 90s sad sap, like loner vibes. There's a lot of loner, lonerism. And who's someone that you kind of think of from the 90s that's a loner? Another one is Michael Stipe, R.E.M. Oh, yeah. I don't think he's a loner, but sometimes I feel that in certain songs, you know? And does Michael Stipe and does R.E.M. have that same 90s production vibe? I think they do sometimes. I do. Yeah. yeah. Not, not on all their stuff. I, I do think that they are more timeless, more than they're not. Yeah. But there is definitely some songs that sound extremely 90s and specific and would be right here with all these. When you say the words college rock, mm -hmm. do you automatically think of things like R.E.M., of Camper Van Beethoven? <laughs> this is that sound I always think of for college rock. Yeah, and especially because I, I believe that term seems to be more or less gone in many ways. I believe in, yeah. indie more or less replaced it. Um, uh -huh. But the first band that came to my mind when you said college radio, college rock, um, it was Dinosaur Jr. 
Yeah, yeah, same. I'm, I'm not same sure thing. what that says about me or what that says about the world, but that is the first band that popped into my head. Huh, and that's so interesting. Well, and this is going to get weird for a second, but follow <laughs> me on this. Okay. Okay. So, Freddie Johnston, he has two of these songs from this album, the only two I'd ever heard before, in the soundtrack to Kingpin, okay? So... I don't know who in the world possibly has thought about this as much as I have. The Fairley brothers who made Kingpin mm. and made a variety of other films like uh, Dumb and Dumber and Shallow Hal and whatever else have a very specific tone to their soundtracks. It's mm. odd as hell. For example, in There's Something About Mary, Jonathan Richman is the main troubadour who like sings between every single scene, kind of like narrating the whole movie and leading down the, like, like the, 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 like the timeline. And that's weird as hell. That just Jonathan Richman is just there singing all the time. And I really like Jonathan Richman. Jonathan Richman, I think would be very much in the same camp as Freddy Johnston. And like, you know, this whole world of earnest 90s troubadours, you know? Yeah, what is that? What is that all about? This whole like 90s troubadour thing. So here's where it's going to get a little weirder, okay? Okay. So a lot of like the big... uh, uh, Fairly Brothers movies were made in the 90s. You know, there's something about Mary, Dumb and Dumber, etc. But when they started getting into the 2000s, um, their movie they made, Me, Myself, and Irene, I believe that would have been like around 2001, 2002, I'm going to guess. Um, they updated slightly and they got a new um, person to like gather all their music, their music director for the movie. And it was Pete Yorn, another Whoa. very sad, very earnest person. Yeah. I don't think they're like, again, I'm only posing questions. I don't have answers, but these are very strange things. This like singer songwriter, very earnest, very nineties troubadour that is spanning the ages. Cause Pete Yorn is very nineties. Uh, yeah. Okay. You're talking about fairly brothers. When you said there's something about Mary, Mm -hmm. I'm not familiar with the soundtrack for Kingpin only just because I've looked up recently that, but, Bad Reputation was on there. I didn't even realize the other one was on there. But there's something about Mary's soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I know this one. <laughs> yeah. And you know what else is on it? What? If I Could Talk, I'd Tell You by the Lemonheads. And it sounds almost exactly like Bad Reputation. Yeah. And same kind of thing. It's like he, he, can, he can't even have one conversation as a line he says. Right. And then this Lemonhead song is... If I could talk, I'd tell you. If I could smile, I'd let you know. Like, my mind is a little bit blown right now. You're bringing all of this up. It it all ties back together. It does. And yet, I don't feel any closer <laughs> That's to, <true>. to, to <laughs> understanding. Well, here's another one. The first place I ever heard Nick Cave was in the in the soundtrack to Dumb and Dumber. And it's that one song that, that, that got a red right hand. Red right hand. <laughs> yeah. That's, well, that's the song. Yeah. Again, sad. Troubadour, 90s as hell, you know? XTC, Ballad of Peter Pumpkinhead. Sad song, story about this, you know, I don't even know what it's about, but it feels sad. <laughs> All right, th- this is going to go a little deeper now. Yeah. Here, here's something else I've got for you. VH1, you ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about VH1. Okay. I feel like VH1 embraced this sound more than MTV ever did. 
Because um, at yes. least growing up, I, I never had enough music. So, I mean, I know probably there were a lot of kids that didn't watch VH1 as much as they watched MTV. I was one of them that I was like, oh, I'll watch VH1. I also had much music. Did you ever have that channel? I I don't remember it, though. That was the Canadian. It familiar is to the me. Canadian I th- MTV. I think I had it briefly one time when we right. had we had this like giant satellite like a giant one yes. and we could pick that one up but not all the time that so, so that's another channel that i used to really you know absorb everything from just because i i wanted everything you know i'm very yeah. greedy about music but anyway because i spent so much time equally watching vh1 almost as much as i watched mtv back in the day all these artists were saying they were much more at home on VH1 than they ever were on MTV mm. throughout That's our entire lives. What is that about? <laughs> you know? Yeah. When I was, I mean, obviously I was a teenager when this happened. And mm-hmm. I feel like the way that I looked at VH1 was just that it was more adult contemporary. Yes. More adult contemporary. For sure. And For MTV sure. was more like kids, wild, young. Yeah youthful, kind of crazy even, rebellion. I got no answers. I don't know. But I I definitely remember watching the VH1 top 10 countdowns versus Mm -hmm. the MTV top 10 countdowns and being like just kind of confused about like how both things were happening in the world at the same time. You know what I mean? Like as a kid, it was like, no, 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 this isn't the top 10. That's the top 10. (laughs) Like (laughs) how can, can, um, you know, the Offsprings, Why Don't You Get a Job, be number one over here, and Meredith Brooks's Bitch be number one over here. Like, how can <laughs> they both be number one? That's not possible. Wow, that was such a good comparison, those two you just pulled. I wonder if head. those were actually out at the same time. I'm, I'm making I'm, this up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the singer, we have to give him props because he's like a, a neuro, bio neuro brain surgeon or something. What? I didn't know that. I'm not even kidding. Like he went to some like Ivy League college and majored in like neuroscience. We're talking about the lead singer of The Offspring. Uh, Of The Offspring. I'm not even lying. Wow. Please Wikipedia that. I got it. I got to learn more. I'm looking it up right now. (laughs) Dexter or whatever his name is. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's like really smart. Let's see. Dexter, Brian Dexter Holland. He is... Oh, he's a virologist, huh. a pilot. Wait, okay, let's see. Um, he graduated valedictorian of his high school. Then he went to University of Southern California where, oh, he got a master's in molecular biology and a PhD in molecular biology. Wow. Oh, but then he got a doctoral in lab and viral oncology and proteomics. What? <laughs> he's smart. He's smarter than we are because we can't even read the words that he is. (laughs) His academic paper describes the use of computational molecular biology. Wow. Wow. mRNA sequences. Wow. Way to go, Dexter Holland. What if he was like Moderna CEO or something? I'm sure he's busy during this (laughs) pandemic. Wow. Oh, I'm sure. Wow. It's, It's so great. Good for him. Uh, anyway, I don't even know, even know how we Sorry, got there. Sorry, that was such an offshoot, yeah. I mean, it, uh, th- I, I got lots of notes that I've written down about, you know, from like listening to these albums, but is there anything you specifically want to talk about? No, Bad Reputation is my favorite. I just wanted to make sure someone else was giving Freddie Johnston some love. Yeah, I also wanted to be confused. Well, I, I guess I didn't want to be confused. I just was confused every time I saw his name, Freedy. 
I guess his real name was like <laughs> Frederic or something like that. Oh, is it? I have no idea. Uh, again, I just this is what I learned from his Wikipedia page. <laughs> that uh, <laughs> yeah, he's got like a, a longer name, and they, just like a, a childhood nickname was Freddy, and that's just what he was called. Anyway, interesting. Yeah, one of the things I came across as well, which I guess is important to to mention about him too was just how strong the songwriting and the melodies are throughout Mm -hmm. this. Like, uh, again, back to his Wikipedia page where I learned so much about him. Uh, He was referred to as like a songwriter's songwriter, I believe. Mm. And I could see that. I could definitely see that like, kind of like, you know, we got to bring it up at some point, John Bryan, where like everyone that loves John Bryan. Fuck you, John Bryan. I love you, John (laughs) Bryan. Everyone that loves John Bryan is a person who probably makes music or cares a lot about music and is like in the world of music. Whereas like the main person on the street doesn't even know that, you know, fucking John Bryan made the the beat for Gold Digger for Kanye West. Most people don't know that, you know, and that's that's cool. You don't need to know that. But Mm -hmm. other people do because it's important to them. I feel like this Freddy Johnston guy who is new to me, other than hearing these two songs in Kingpin, I feel like other people probably do have that like songwriter's songwriter feeling about him because clearly his, his licks are solid. You know what I mean? Like yeah, everything he's doing is airtight, tight like a drum and just produced very nineties in a nostalgic way that I can't explain or understand. Yeah. That's interesting. I was just looking because we were talking about singer songwriter and there's another person credited on this album. I mean, Obviously, Freddie wrote all those songs, mm-hmm. just like John Bryan was the writer of all these other songs. Uh, Marshall Crenshaw. Are you familiar with him? I'm familiar with the name, but no, I don't think so. Who's, who's Marshall Crenshaw? Another, I feel like he's another one that doesn't get... I mean, only the super music nerds, I feel like, really love Marshall Crenshaw. But if if anyone heard his some of his albums, I think, uh, I think they'd really enjoy it. Mm. Um, I know I do, but apparently um, Marshall Crenshaw was the guy who played Buddy Holly on the movie La Bamba. Oh, huh. <laughs> who knew? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. But I don't know. That's just another thing is just that there's these, you know, amazing singer-songwriters who have had really great careers and um, they're just so talented and strong songwriters. Songwriters, songwriters, songwriters for the songwriters. How did you say that again? Uh, songwriters, the songwriter? songwriters, songwriter. Yeah, I don't know. Wikipedia taught Marshall, me. <laughs> Marshall Crenshaw is the same. Interesting. Same. That's another one. Maybe we should throw that one on the album of the month. Yeah. One of those next time because I I would love to learn more. Honestly. Totally. Yeah. I, I think honestly that's my favorite thing about reading thirty three and a third books is that um, whenever I buy a new one, because, you know, uh, like we've mentioned before, it's my goal to read all of them, um, even though I'm enjoying only half of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, my favorite thing about them, honestly, is that whenever I buy a new one, I always pick up the album as well if I don't already own it. Oh, So that cool. is making me buy some albums I didn't already own. Like, for example, um, I just picked up the next three 33 and a third books, which is... Um, the Smiths Meet His Murder, which I hear is absolutely the worst of the series. So I'm oh, really no. not looking forward to reading it, but it's the next one I'm going to. Followed by uh, The Piper at the Gates of Dawn. I believe that's what it's called, that Pink Floyd album. Never heard it. So I, I bought that album. And then the next one, uh, ABBA's Gold, the ABBA Greatest Hits album. Mm. 
I also didn't own mm-hmm. that, so I ordered that. And so that's that to me is like a really cool reason to keep following the 33 and a third books. Is like so there's the next three books. I only owned one of those albums. I owned uh, Meet Is Murder by the Smiths. So I automatically got to like pick up these things that were recommended by basically a publisher. A publisher said enough people like this album that we're going to write a book about it. So I was like, okay, someone's vouching for it. I bet these are good. I've never owned an ABBA album, but I do now. I now own ABBA's Gold. And I bought the 40th anniversary edition, which is three discs. I think nearly four hours of music. Pretty wild. Wow. I have a few few ABBA ABBA records. Um, But yeah, is there any good? I want to know, are there any good 33 and a third books? Yes. Are there? There are, but... They're few and far between so far. So far in my Why experience. Why do they suck so bad? I want them to be exactly this, where they're talking track per track, mm-hmm. what the songs are about, you know, if they have that history. Like, why was the singer, whoever inspired to write the song, the sound, the time frame that it came out? I want, like, a mini bio of that album. I don't care about the author's, you know, life yeah. at the time. I don't care. Yeah. Like, tell me about the album because that's why I'm buying this little book. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to quote myself today because um, uh, as you know, Tara, uh, we have an excellent Discord channel, which is basically um, anyone who enjoys coming to this record store, listening to us talk, we like to hear their opinions too. We well, we want to hear everyone. So if you, you know, go to the website for our record store, recordstoresociety.com, you can find an invitation to join our Discord channel, which is a lot of fun. A lot of people do it. I really like it. Everyone really likes it. It's great. But <laughs> um, this morning we were talking about this because we have a little um, text channel in our feed for um, books. And here's, I'm quoting myself. This is something I said literally this morning. Quote, For me, the best 33 and a third books read like expanded liner notes or a really long magazine article. And the worst ones feel like the author just tricked me into reading their memoirs. Yes. And that's, that's honestly what I feel like is like, we're talking about this before. There are some amazing like magazine articles I remember reading as a kid about whoever I really loved at the time, the White Stripes or Radiohead or The Roots or who knows what, where I'm just like, holy shit, I'm learning so much right now. <laughs> just reading some silly spin article, you really feel like you learned something, you know, you, you mm-hmm. feel like you got a little slice of life. The best 33 and a third books do give me that feeling, you know, like, um, for example, um, I actually posted this on our Discord channel today. There was an article on Pitchfork called the 33 best 33 and a third books. Really? That's an actual article? That's an article written by Pitchfork, wow. I think like five years ago. And uh, it really does narrow them down uh, to oh, just like, good. hey, <laughs> some of these ain't so great, you know? So whatever. Anyway. God bless the person that had to read all of them. That'll be me someday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I believe the person who wrote that article, they said that the the, uh, article literally fell into their lap because they were collecting all of the books just because... You know, when someone makes something clearly for you it's in a mind, nice collection, yeah, yeah, you like you you want to support the things that someone is like making for you. It's like, oh, look, right. you're writing these books. I'm the audience. Hooray! I'll buy these books from you. Oh, they're not that good. Well, thanks for doing it anyway. <laughs> you yeah. know, so you're like, this- well, damn, I already own half of them. I got to keep going with the collection. <laughs> yeah, um, but anyway, the person who wrote this was like, oh yeah, this this article literally fell in my lap because my stack of these books was getting too high and they fell on my lap from my desk. Oh, so, wow. 
Anyway, all that to say, I highly recommend our Discord channel. It's a lot of fun. Everyone who's there really likes it. I like it. You like it. It's great. I like it. Yeah. Um, anything else we should uh, talk about before we start wrapping up? Nope. Let's wrap up. Cool. We're going to start uh, closing <laughs> up the store. Uh, the last thing we're going to do is uh, stock our employee recommendation shelf. So let's go break up. We're going to find our records and books and whatever it is we're going to recommend at the store. We'll come right back. We'll say goodbye. We'll close up. Okay, we are back. Uh, the one last thing we have to do before we uh, close up for the uh, the night is we restock our employee recommendation shelf. Um, mine actually factors directly into what we were just talking about, so I'll throw mine out there real quick. This book to me reads like a great 33 and a third book. And so I'm actually going to play a track from the album that you it's mean about. This, this album... Oh, this book oh, I'm about you... to recommend, which is oh, not a okay. 33 and a third book. Okay. I was getting uh, my lines crossed there. Oh, totally. No, no. It was my job for not being clear enough. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. Um, the book I am currently reading reads as if it was a much better version of a 33 and a third book, but it's not. It's just a book written about a very specific album. So I'm actually going to play a little chunk of it right now, right after I say the title, because it's one of my favorite albums. So I just want to play a little chunk of it. But the book is called This Isn't Happening, Radiohead's Kid A and the Beginning of the 21st Century by Stephen Hyden. So it's a really great book. Uh, I think in particular, I love it so much because it is very specific to a Radiohead fan's needs, meaning they don't dwell on things they that I already know. Like, for example, um, they're talking about a lot about like what else was happening in the world. Like, for example, you know, uh, Kid A came out in the year 2000, right before 9-11, but it kind of like predicted a bunch of these kind of like uncertainties and, 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 and awfulness that would come in the very soon years. And then the strokes came out and how does Radiohead relate to the strokes debut album? You know, what else was really popular at the time was Lincoln parks, uh, uh, at the time, like Lincoln park was outselling Radiohead, like 20 to one at the time. They were the most popular rock band in the world during kid a, but we don't really talk about Lincoln park anymore, but we definitely still talk about kid a, what is that all about? And then, like, we don't, right. we don't talk about, but I'm sure there's a lot of people talking about Lincoln Park. I'm positive. <laughs> and then talking about how, like, Ed O'Brien, probably the least, um, least discussed member of Radiohead, there's a whole chapter just on him and how he oh. relates to the band and like why his point of view and everything is really important. And keeping him in the band is just kind of important to the to the the structure of Radiohead as well as to us as a listener to keeping everything moving in, in a positive forward way that's enjoyable for the band and for the listener anyway it, it's just it goes very deep into things that I'm very much enjoying reading about as a person who has already like digested everything there is to know about Radiohead and Kid A this guy Stephen Hyden he has just picked just the right topics that are Kid A but not Kid A that make me really happy. It anyway, he's doing a great job. I, I'm I'm ninety percent done with the book and I've really enjoyed it. I recommend. This isn't happening. Radiohead's Kid A 
and The Beginning of the 21st Century by Stephen Hyden. I believe the paperback version is coming out relatively soon. Um, that's from me. Tara, how about you? What do you want to nice. put on the uh, Speaking of thing? 90s sad sack, <laughs> Radiohead <laughs> creep. Um, no. Yeah, I actually was just going to recommend an album that was inspired from my listening to Dracula. Mm. So uh, Roberta Flack's album from 1969, First Take. Like the trembling heart. Um, Where she does the song, uh, The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face, which is that cover from Ewan McCall, McCall, McCall to uh, Peggy Seeger. Roberta puts a soul touch on it, and it's just a beautiful take of this song. But um, the whole album I listened to because of that, because of that cover that I that I heard. So um, I'm going to recommend something that I listened to myself uh, when I listened to Dracula, and that is Roberta Flack's album First Take. I love listen, it. Listen, support. Yeah. It's only 45 minutes long, too. I do love a short album. Me too. This Dracula album was really short. I think it felt like, what, 20 to 30 minutes tops? It's so fast. I know I listened to it like three times and accidentally. I was like, oh, wait, I've heard this three times. And yeah. I was like, oh, must have just listened to the album three times. <laughs> Too bad I didn't scrabble because Bandcamp doesn't scrabble. Yeah, yeah. Bandcamp is, uh, <laughs> is strange. Um, I, I will say I, I use my Bandcamp app to stream music way more than I use Spotify. Mm. And I find that weird. <laughs> That's <laughs> all I can say about that. That's interesting. Uh, anyway, anyway, we should probably get going. Yeah. But uh, hey, everyone, thanks for coming in today. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us for the Album of the Month Club. We're, we do this all the time. Maybe you'll be here, maybe you won't. But once a month, we'd hop in and we'd be, uh, we, we, we revisit these things. So thank you. Goodbye. We love you. The store is officially closed. Happy trails, everyone. Until we meet again. Record Store Society is hosted by Tara Davies and Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to recordstoresociety at iheartmedia.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society. Record Store Society is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. When you game with Alienware, you have the freedom to be anyone, like the galaxy's most feared warrior, and the freedom to go anywhere. Elevate your gameplay with the new Alienware X-Series laptops with 11th-gen Intel Core processors. Defy boundaries and start gaming now at Alienware.com.